Hey, we're, we're entitling this sermon series Disruption because, as I shared with you last week, we're just in this for about three weeks, just as we're kind of bridging the sermon series that we were in, Holy Roar, and bridging us into our, our, our Christmas series. But this idea, I, I feel like that, that people tend to be ill-prepared for how disruptive Jesus is because this is how we, we envision Jesus. This is, this is what we think of Jesus. He's, he's like the gentle grandmother that's always comforting our inner child. And, and there is a part of Jesus that is that, but, but the part of Jesus that I would say is just as active in our lives that we are ill-prepared for is represented by this image, that, that Jesus shows up with a hard hat, with goggles, and a sledgehammer to dismantle some things in our lives that do not belong there, to tear down some walls that should not be present, to make room for things that are to come. And if you, if you only envision Jesus as this, this comforter, as this friend, then sometimes when he shows up to break some things down, it might be that you are a little bit more reluctant. But if you're expecting him to do this, I think that it makes it easier, easier for us to receive. Last week, I shared the story about the rich young ruler and how in that moment Jesus disrupted centuries of religious belief that it's what we do for ourselves that brings salvation. It's why the rich young ruler comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? And what Jesus was saying to him through his interaction, it's no longer about what you do, it's about what I do that brings salvation. He disrupted centuries of religious belief. And then we talked about the idea of Sabbath and how Sabbath is a disruption in our lives, but it's a disruption that, disruption that we need. I, I want to talk to you tonight about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want, I want to share a little bit about what I believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it too is a disruption in our lives and sometimes in ways that we did not expect. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Acts tonight. Verse, the verses are going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read from here to Acts 1, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is Luke writing in the book of Acts. Luke gives us the gospel of Luke, and then he continues what he writes here to his friend Theophilus. It says, in my first book, which is the gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days, this is going to be important because I'm going to show you a timeline in just a minute. During the, the, the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say baptism. This timeline that is going to pop up onto the screen right now is important to us because the timeline of the Bible is instructive. When things happen in the Bible is instructive. When we, we call it a chronological context. It helps us to understand certain things that the Bible teaches. Now, we know that Jesus' death and resurrection happened during Passover. Now, these feasts that Jewish people celebrate, and still celebrate today, happen at very specific times of the year. And then the feasts that often follow come by measure of certain days. So we have Jesus' death and resurrection during Passover. Pentecost, which means 50, is the next feast that comes 
50 days, exactly 50 days after Passover, you find Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is where you read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. Now, what took place in between those are important. We know that what we just read, it, it said that Jesus appeared to people for 40 days. So if you take, right, when, when, when you're, if you're in school, math, you didn't realize math is an important part of biblical interpretation. Just, just letting you know, right? I had to go to church. They maybe do some math. I'm a little, a little, right? So 40 days, you got to do some math. 40 days, Jesus appeared. If you take 40 days from Passover and then you get to his ascension and then we know the Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room on the Feast of Pentecost, that means that there is a 10-day period where they were waiting and praying. That there was a 10-day period where they were gathering with a sense of expectancy that there was a promise that was going to be fulfilled. Now, up until this point, everything that Jesus has said to them was going, has happened. Even things they thought were impossible. Even on the day of his resurrection, even though he said he was going to be raised from the dead, they did not think that it could happen. And we know that from observing their behavior after he died. So, right, there, there is this sense of Jesus does everything that he says he's going to do. So we've got 10 days where they were praying. And then, as we're going to read tonight, when we get to Acts chapter 2, we see that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, John 20, 22 is an important verse for us because soon after, almost immediately after Jesus rose from the dead, there was a story that we're giving where Jesus passes through the wall, doesn't need a door, appears to the disciples, and it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, now this is important, too. Because these people in this room would have been familiar with the story of creation. And the way in which God caused life to come into Adam's body was he, what did he do? He breathed on him, right? He, he, he breathed on him. In the Hebrew, it's the Ruach Akodesh, the breath of God. And, and so he, he breathes on him. And so when Jesus breathes on them, that meant something to them in their religious tradition. They understood something was happening. They were physically alive, but the Holy Spirit, I believe in that moment, that's the moment of their salvation, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So if they receive the Holy Spirit soon after Jesus' resurrection, then I believe, not everybody's agrees, I'm sharing with you what I believe tonight. You might find a different approach and a different perspective. But what I would say is something else happens to us with the Holy Spirit that Jesus specifically calls, in Acts chapter 1, he calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about everything the disciples have experienced up until this point. I want you to think about everything that's happened to the disciples up until this point. Wait, we've already talked about this idea that he's breathed on them. They've received the Holy Spirit. But let's, let's back it up even more. They've been a personal witness to his resurrection. They, they've been a personal witness to him appearing to them after his resurrection. Let's back it up even more and think of all the things that they saw Jesus do. Let's take it a step further. Jesus sent them out two by two, and they themselves began to do the things that Jesus had done. Miracles were performed through them during the three years that they ministered with Jesus. When, add all of that up and everything and every experience that they had, but Jesus was saying to them, but there's still something else that you need in order to fulfill the purpose that I've called you to fulfill. Let's keep reading in our text. We're going to go to Acts 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. 
So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? We're going to talk about that in just a minute and what that represents for them. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, which is a nice way of Jesus saying to them, would you stop changing the subject? Right? This is Jesus saying, you're, you're, you're focusing on all the wrong things. He, he, he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Now, Jesus was with them when he said, you breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So we know that he's talking about something else, or I would suggest we believe that he's talking about something else. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I believe this is one of the great disruptive moments that we see of Jesus in the Bible. If we're not careful, we'll just push, push right past it. Are you ready for Jesus to disrupt what you're concerned about? Are, are, are you ready for, dis, for Jesus to disrupt what you value? It's fascinating to me that after all that they have seen, after all that they have heard, and all the ways that they've been commissioned, their focus is still on their political identity. Their focus is still on the condition of, of, of the place where they are physically. We, we know that Israel is occupied by Rome. We know that the Israelites are, are basically suffering under the oppression of a foreign government. And, and, and here, even in this moment, even after all that they've seen, the, the concern that they bring to Jesus, the concern that they ask him is, before you go, could you just finally answer the question, when are you going to kick Rome out? When are you going to set us free, politically and physically, and, and, and when is the glory of Israel going to be restored? And I think to myself, Jesus in that moment, he's, he's, he's thinking to himself, I'm just going to have to find 12 new people. I, I think in this moment as I was reading and studying for this, this message, I had this, this flashback to in the Old Testament where God gets so angry with the Israelites after he delivered them out of Egypt, after he had done so many remarkable things, he says, I'm, I'm fed up, I'm just going to kill them all, and I'm going to go find a new group of people. And Moses says, can we not, can we not do that? That's not going to be good for your reputation. If you've read that story, it's a fascinating conversation between Moses. And you should be encouraged by that because it tells us that God emotes. It tells us that this God is emotional. He has emotional responses. So the next time you emote, just remind yourself, this is part of my Imago Day. I'm having a bad day and my Imago Day is coming forward. I just want to wipe them all out and start all over. I think Jesus in this moment is thinking to himself, I'm just going to wipe them all out, and I'm going to, they still don't get it. I, I, Jesus is completely and totally disrupting everything that concerns them, everything that he, he's saying to them, you're looking at the wrong kingdom. He's saying to them, you're seeking the wrong kind of freedom. He's saying to them, oh, you need to be free. And I think what he's saying to them is part of your comparative experience, if you're part of our church, you know what that means. Part of your comparative experience is what you're going through is to help you connect to the freedom that you really should be longing for. It's a freedom that comes on the inside. It's a freedom that only he can give, and it's a freedom that the world is desperate to find. 
No, no matter what our natural circumstance might be, Jesus is saying to them, that's not your mission. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to help build a new kind of kingdom, to help usher in a new kind of kingdom. It's to teach the world about a new kind of freedom. I love that as you continue to read through the book of Acts, during the lifetime of these disciples, their physical condition, their physical political situation never changed, but it stopped being their concern. Their circumstance was the same in the natural, but something pivoted for them. They began to be concerned for something else. They began to value something else higher. And I believe it's because of this moment where Jesus disrupted it in his conversation with them. He talks to them about this idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it's baptizo. It means to be made fully wet. Again, the language of the Bible is instructive. The chronology of the Bible is instructive. He, he's saying to them, now, I know that the Holy Spirit is inside of you because when I breathed on you, that's when the Holy Spirit became a part of who you are. It entered into you. But there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit that you've not yet had. This idea of being made fully wet with who he is already in you. Let me give you this. This is my working definition of a Holy Spirit baptism. Holy Spirit baptism is the disruption and reordering of the seats of power and influence in your life. I like to call it a spiritual chiropractic experience, whereby the Holy Spirit is repositioned to become the dominant influencer of your will. When you think about inside of you, I hope you see a boardroom, because there is a boardroom inside of you. You have free will. You, you have the ability to choose, to make decisions, to act. You have agency. And, and, and your, your, your free will sits at this boardroom inside of your life. And, and at this, this table of governance inside of you is your mind, your intellect, your ideas, your thoughts, your imaginations. At this boardroom table are your feelings, your emotions, at this boardroom table are your life experiences. At this boardroom table are your traumas. At, at, this, at this boardroom table are agreements that you've made about things that you believe and are not true, right? We, if we had time, we could keep working down this list. It's a big, it's a big table. It, it's, a big, it's a big boardroom in us, influencing our will. One of the great gifts of salvation is not just the heaven that is promised to us. It's the person that we become at the moment of our vow of devotion to Christ. When the Bible talks about us being born into God's family, come on, how about this great illustration, right, with Hadasha Patricia Miller here tonight. This child has been born into this world. This child's been born into this family. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, you are born into the family of God. You become someone that you were not before. You become someone that you were not before. The Holy Spirit is now a part of your life. He gets a seat at the table. He gets a seat at the table. But there are a whole lot of other influences. Mother-in-laws at the table. You have to make a decision at some point in your life who sits next to your will? Who, 
Who, who, who gets the final say in your will? Your free will that you have. You choose. The Holy Spirit does not come. It's not a coup. He does not take over. He takes a seat at the table. And then he's waiting to be invited to the seat at the table. And I believe that when you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not only does he move to the seat, listen to this, not only does he move to the seat of influence inside of you, he washes over every other part of you and every other influence that's in you. And sometimes that means washing out some of the influences that don't belong there. Baptizo, to be made fully wet. I think one of the reasons why we can get confused about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is because we don't do a good job of differentiating between what is an experience and what is an encounter. What is an experience versus what is an encounter. I was reading just this morning, a late edition to my message in my notes. The notes are always online. You can download them the week after But in Acts 9 and in Acts 22 and in Acts 26, we're given the story of Saul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul. All three of these texts reference and explain what happened to him on the road to Damascus. And if we're going to fully understand everything that happened, you've got to read all three encounters and you have to assimilate all three together to get the whole story. All three are true, and they each give us detail that the other does not. And when we put them all together, what we find is that as Saul was on his way to Damascus with papers from the religious leaders in Jerusalem, giving him permission to persecute and arrest the followers of what they called the way and to bring them back to be tried in Jerusalem, that while he was on the road, it says that a great light shone around him. And it says that all the people in his traveling party fell to the ground. And then in that moment, it says that they all heard a voice, but only Paul was able to discern the voice. It says that the other people in his party heard a voice, but only Paul understood the voice. And then when we get to Acts 26, we find that as Paul is teaching, now he's Paul, the Apostle Paul, teaching King Agrippa, he says in that account that Jesus tells him, because it's Jesus who appeared to him on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, tell my followers that I have appeared to you. See, up until that point in the other two instances, it talks about him responding to the voice of Jesus that he heard, and Jesus identifies his voice. But then when you get to Acts 26, Luke gives us an added detail. It says that Jesus literally appeared to him. The other stories tell us that the other people did not see Jesus. They just heard a voice that they could not understand. This is important to us because the people in Paul's traveling party had an experience, but Paul had an encounter. You with me? The other people in his party, they had an experience, but Paul had an encounter. It was personal for him. He understood things that they did not understand. He saw things that they did not see. It affected him in ways that it did not affect him. He became blind in that moment for a short period of time. He had to be led by the hand by those people in his party. They were all exposed to the light, but blindness only came upon Paul himself. There is a difference between an encounter and an experience. I'm sharing that with you. I don't know if Pastor Paul Johansson 
he often tunes in with us. I just want to give him a shout out. I was watching the Elam. We're a part of the Elam Network. I was watching several months ago their conference online that was back in May. And, uh, and Pastor Paul Johansson preached an amazing sermon on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and of all the times, all, as, as long as I've been in church, of all the times I've preached on it, studied it, listened to it, listened to other sermons on it, I've never heard someone break down this idea of the difference between an experience and an encounter. So just a shout out for Pastor Paul tonight. Acts 2, 1 through 4. I wanted to tell you that story to set up this story. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. There was an experience. Everybody that was in that room experienced something. Now, now watch how it turns. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them individually. Each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Pastor Paul in his sermon talks about the difference between an experience and an encounter as like air conditioning. When, when you come into a space like this, everybody equally shares in the experience of the air conditioning. It doesn't matter who you are. It's not as though we can look at you and say, okay, when you come in, you're not allowed to feel the air conditioning like the person that's next to you. Right? That doesn't make any sense. Everybody experiences what fills the room. In his sermon, Paul, Pastor Paul was saying, when you come into a spiritual, spiritually enriched environment like you did tonight, everybody had equal opportunity to experience the presence of God. Everybody had equal opportunity to experience the presence of God. Right? Amy had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that you did not have. She, she, she felt as though God spoke something to her through the Holy Spirit. She comes and shares that with us, and then she comes and shares it with you, and then all of a sudden you get to benefit from her encounter even though we were all sharing in the same experience. Right? It's important. The details matter in shaping our theology and what we believe and what we understand Let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians 14, 22 to 25. It's as though you see that speaking in tongues, or I like to call it spiritual language, is a sign not for believers, believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church, this is important, meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you're crazy. Now, you stop there, and it feels like right you, you get whiplash a little bit. I thought he just said it was a sign, and now he's saying it's not. What he's saying is if the sign is abused and used in a way that it's not, what, it, what was supposed to be a sign becomes confusion. That's what he's saying. But if you are all prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly among you here. What's he talking about here? He's talking about an experience that becomes an encounter. When when people come into a place like this, our, our hope is that if they do not know Jesus, that they recognize that there is something in this room that is unfamiliar to them, but they're drawn to it. That there, there's something in this room that they feel that maybe they cannot quite understand. 
There, there's, there's an experience that everyone has, no matter who they are, no matter what they've been doing, no matter what they plan to go and do after the service, there is an experience in the house that fills the house, that fills the room, that hopefully is touching every person that's here. But then sometimes they hear something, something that someone says, maybe something in the sermon, maybe through a prayer, maybe somebody comes and stands at, up at the front and they think to themselves, how did that person know I was thinking that? Now all of a sudden an experience becomes an encounter. Just a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching the sermon called Cried Out, there was a young person that came up to me at the end of the service and said, I want you to know that as I was on the way to church tonight, I felt like God spoke to me and said, when you get to church, all I want you to do is cry out. And, and so their whole way here is they were praying. When I get, I'm just going to cry out. 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 They, come, they, they were standing at the altar at one point in the service just to cry out. He, he said, when you got up and you began to preach and you said the name of your sermon was cry out, I knew that God heard me and saw me. You with me? Your experience becomes an encounter when it gets personal. I hope you've had an experience tonight with the presence of God, but I hope even more before you go, you have an encounter. You have an encounter. Look at Acts 2, 1 through 4. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages. The Holy Spirit gave them their ability. I'm not going to go back for the sake of time to that slide that I was going to go to that showed the timeline, but I started with the timeline because I, I, I wanted you to see that the disciples themselves even though the Holy Spirit was inside of them, there was still another experience with the Holy Spirit that was waiting for them. And Jesus, by what he calls it, we didn't choose to call it this, it's by what he chose to call it. He said, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to jump down to this definition, Mackenzie. It says, Holy Spirit baptism is a personal encounter and is the beginning of a lifetime of moments of being filled afresh and anew. Let me read that again. Holy Spirit baptism is a personal encounter and is the beginning of a lifetime of moments being filled afresh and anew. As you continue to read through the book of Acts, what you find is that these people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, this personal encounter with the Holy Spirit continues to happen again and again and again. But guess what? It happened for the first time at some time. And so how I understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for, for, for my own personal experience in life as a devoted follower of Christ, follows this pattern. When I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990, I didn't experience personally what I would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit until March the following year, until 1991. The Holy Spirit was living inside of me, but I not yet experienced what I believe Jesus called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not talk about the promise that Jesus said would come with it. And the promise that he said would come with it is power. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And then he names it, as we have already read. He said, John baptized you with water, but the Holy Spirit will baptize you with fire. There's a baptism that brings about power in our lives. That's the promise. If they needed power then, how much more do we need it today? I believe that there are five distinct powers that we experience after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think too many churches, maybe our own church at some times in the past, have focused too much on one or the other. It's going to pop up here. It's going to, a graph is going to appear on the screen. Fruit, liberty, language, gifts, and witness. Now, these bars here, it's intended to be a bar graph. I'm just, I'm just making those up. Meaning that when you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you might experience degrees of power in each one of these areas to varying degrees. And sometimes you experience the, this power in your life in these varying degrees based on what you believe to be true. If you don't believe in spiritual language, I would argue that you're capable of spiritual language if you've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But if your theology doesn't make room for that practice, then that's probably not going to be present in your life. I think there's a whole lot of people that have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they would never call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit because their theology doesn't even make room for that description. But it doesn't mean it hasn't happened to them. I think as you continue to read through the New Testament, you find that these five areas are areas where you experience power in a way you didn't before. Fruit is referring to the character of Christ. Why do we call it fruit? Because Paul, in writing to the church of Galatia, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we believe that that's not the only list of the character of Christ. We believe there are 24 virtues that represent the fullness of the fruit or the character of Christ. And I believe when you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the character of Christ begins to grow in you at a rate that it never has before. The character of Christ begins to form in you in ways that it never has before. I think liberty is one of the ways that you experience power after you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You, you gain a sense of authority over yourself. You, you, you begin to find a new sense of strength to say no to the things you're supposed to say no to and yes to the things that you're supposed to say yes to. When you, when you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? we see Peter himself. He was cowering and even after John 20, 22, we see him hiding. But on the day of Pentecost, he stands for the whole world to hear, and he delivers the first sermon of the very first church. That there was a liberty and a freedom that came into his life. There was power. There's language. I believe that spiritual language is a part of the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why would not God give us the ability to pray and worship to him in a way that is unencumbered by human intellect and earthly language? It seems odd, but just because it's unfamiliar. Spiritual language is part of my everyday life. If you've ever been in a situation or circumstance where you just couldn't find the words to express it, I think God created spiritual language so we would never have that feeling with him. Gifts. As you read in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, and in Ephesians 4, it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are gifts that God wants to bring into your life to enable you to minister and serve and build the church that you're called to be a part of. Even tonight, as Amy came forward, what a great example. She didn't know we were going to be preaching on this. Praying this week, I was like, Lord, if you're going to give a prophetic word, how about you could give it on Saturday when I'm preaching on the gifts of the Spirit? And she comes... It's a great example of moving in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit here. 
When you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he begins to move and operate in waves. It gifts is not really a great, for, for the American culture, gift is a terrible word. Gift means it's something that someone gives to me that I may or may not like, right? And you're getting ready to all experience that in just a few weeks. Gifts, when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, it's the Greek word charismata, which translates the result of grace. It's the result of grace. There are things that will begin to move and operate in your life that is a result of grace. You don't earn it. You didn't deserve it. We were chosen by God. He deposits certain gifts in certain people and some and more than others. It is the result of grace. Witness. There is a, there is a compelling witness to Jesus in your life because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Something happened to these disciples that set the world on fire and turned it upside down because now their witness for who Jesus was was the same before as it was after, but something began to amplify that witness, and it was the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. You can just put the signature slide back up for me, McKenzie. Amplifies an important word for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that that one word best describes what happens in our lives after we've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know it did for me personally. You're, you're, the Bible becomes so much more clear. It's like there is an amplification of understanding. There is a, a, a feeling and love and affection for the body of Christ and the family of God that gets amplified from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There, there is a, a hunger for the purposes of God and the things of God that gets amplified because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think your worship, your capacity for worship, your desire for prayer gets amplified. It gets boosted because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Something happens when you avail yourself to Jesus, the great chiropractor, our baptizer, allowing the Holy Spirit who is in us to be positioned at the seat of influence by our will, yielding to him, surrendering to him, washing over every other part of who you are. We're going to invite you to stand tonight as we go into a moment of worship. There's going to be a couple of us down here at the front. Vanessa and I are going to be here. I think Chuck and Penny Jordan, our elders, are going to be here. I know oftentimes we pray at the end of the service, and we'll still be available after the song. I'll come up and close. We'll still be available for prayer. But really, we're not going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not create an opportunity for people to be prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It might be that you're here and say, Fred, can we just back all the way up? Because when you were talking about John 20, 22, I don't even think that's happened to me yet. Maybe you're backing all the way up, and, and you're saying, Fred, I don't, I, there's not even a moment in my life where I've made a vow of devotion to Christ. Then you come too, and we can pray. Father, I, my great desire tonight, not just for an experience, but an encounter. For people that are here that maybe week in and week out, they share in the experience of what's happening in this, in this room, but, but, but maybe there's an encounter with you, Holy Spirit, that they've not yet had. Maybe they've had an encounter, Holy Spirit, with you, but they just know that they need to be filled afresh and anew, afresh and anew. 
Father, we believe this is one of the reasons why you call your people to gather together. If you're watching from online church, there's a host that's willing to go into a private prayer room with you and pray for you just as if you were here now. God is not limited by time and space. So if you're watching online, just hit that prayer button and someone will be willing to pray for you. From experience to encounter, God, we want everything that you have for us. When we breathe our last and step from this world into the next, God, may it be that the desire of our heart is that we left nothing undone, that we left nothing behind, that we embraced every experience, that we believed every promise, and that we stepped into every moment. In Jesus' name, come on. Let's worship together.